Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. And we're back with another episode of Keep It. I am Ira Madison III, culture writer at The Daily Beast, and I'm joined once again by Kara Brown. Oh, hey. We're still, we're here again. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's Black History Month. Lewis is not here. Oh, yeah. Lewis is not here. We've replaced Lewis with the king of Wakanda. T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman yeah. himself is here, yeah. but he stepped out to get some vegan food. He did. So I guess Lewis, if you're over there in the corner, you, you can join us. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> I'm white and dewy as a Nick Nolte mugshot, and I'm here. <laughs> Love me. Actually, uh, it's a good thing you are here this week because <laughs> finally we have a white person that we need you to explain to us. Oh. Please. I'm all ears. Justin Timberlake again. <laughs> I think I've represented that I'm not a very good diplomat on behalf of Mr. Timberlake. I'm tired of talking about him. It's been a lot. I feel like it's been every episode. Yeah. However, his album's out, Man of the Woods, mm-hmm. critics dragged it, the Super Bowl happened, no one liked it, <laughs> except Nikki Haley. <laughs> and we're going to talk about him one last time, and then we're going to put him in pop music sarcophagus. Nice. Which will be beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Will it? Yes. Sarcophaguses are lovely. I could sleep in one, I would. Let's get him in there. (laughs) The album, before we get into the Super Bowl. Yes. Who listened to it? Mysteriously, I did. I have to say, even though we're familiar with the album titles of Justin Timberlake's album, you know, Future Sex, Love Sounds and 2020 Experience, I would never call him an album artist. I don't think we look back on his work and think like, oh, he really, you know, he's like Kanye West or something, you know, or Bjork or someone who really cares about that format. He's definitely singles all the way. And this time, the issue is there's the same amount of filler there always is on his albums, except the singles also aren't that good. So it just feels, you know, like a palette album. It was 16 tracks it's 16 long. fucking tracks it's the like, miseducation of like, justin timberlake uh, okay guys thriller was nine songs and he got the job done <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me actually i was spending the i'm doing this sort of writing challenge that these oh, people that, asked yeah. on twitter where you listen to an album every day in february that you haven't listened to before and you just like tweet about it and i was listening to a bunch of albums from like 97 where every hip-hop album had 29 tracks of it. <laughs> and six interludes. Yeah. And this feels like that. Because Jessica Beale interludes? Yeah. I don't know why she's on here. Wait, First is that of all, Jessica Beale in those interludes? It I sounds think like so. an Oil of Olay commercial. No, I think it's, I think it's her. <laughs> First of all, I thought it was her popping up on a song, but it was uh, Alicia, Alicia Keys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know why she's on the album. The other thing about the album, which made me irate when he, so he calls it Man in the Woods and he's in his flannel and he's, you know. He has a song called Flannel. He has a song called Flannel. And then the first song has a music video with a dancing robot. And I was like, sir, that's not a lot of synergy between the two themes that you were presenting to me. (laughs) 
the whole album sounds like he's singing about kind of like folksy Americana shit, but then with like a weird Timbaland beat. Right. I think ultimately it doesn't sound enough like a departure. It doesn't sound, uh, I mean, folksy is the word you just picked. It sounds still ultimately like the last few albums he's done while insisting that he's at his cabin. It's like if you were going to give us what you gave us before, you brought Timbaland in, you brought Pharrell in, cool, give us those tracks. Or give us your like half country folksy Americana shit. Like just pick one. And I actually think that would have been more successful for him. I think it would have still been irritating if he had completely switched lanes and, you know, given us like a Miley Cyrus album. But Well, well what's weird too is that it seems to work when he makes his songs with Chris Stapleton. <laughs> I like it. Did you? Well, I feel like maybe because Chris Stapleton seems like a real artist. Right. And he makes good country songs. So when Timberlake has always been a chameleon, he could slip into black culture just as easily as he could <laughs> slip back into, you know, the honky tonk. And, and I a think, denim fedora. Yeah, you know, and then when he's with Chris, like, I like that Say Something yeah. song. And I like the song that they did before, like the Drink You Away or whatever. And if he wanted to make a whole album of that, sure. But then your singles are like filthy, which the lyrics sound like a dirty knockoff because he's talking about like, we're not leaving the club till six in the morning. I'm like, first of all, your old ass is not (laughs) in the club till six in the morning. You are at Oh Fudge with Jessica Biel not paying her workers. He should have made a dad (laughs) album. And like been like I'm like a country dad now, and I wear my denim shirts. And he's been like, and then that would have been like, okay, sure, fine. Kind of like if you remember his contributions to the Inside Lewin Davis soundtrack, which was like really like the Peter who- Paul and Mary or something. Do but we it's like- remember his what to the what? <laughs> you have to believe me on this. Okay. He was in First a movie. Of all, Inside Lewin Davis is a great movie. It's a Coen Brothers movie. Oscar it- Isaac maybe at his hottest. It stars Oscar Isaac, and he's very hot in it. But the Oscars ignored it. Okay, keep going. I have to say, I think the least successful part of the album also is he's just done the robo noises before. It's like you've already had all these albums that sound like somebody turning on a printer. You know what I mean? We don't (laughs) need this again in 2018. (laughs) So we weren't the only ones who were confused by the album. It was pretty much universally dragged. And going into the Super Bowl, he was doing the halftime show. And here you are dropping an album two days before it that nobody wants. And now here's a halftime performance that he didn't even seem to want. I was ready for a fun Super Bowl show because, to be honest, I've seen Justin in concert twice. And I've seen NSYNC in concert once. And he was always fun. Like, he's a good dancer. He always leaned into the spectacle, at least with his NSYNC days and with the Future Sex Love Show, and whenever you remember his VMA performances, they always had something going on that felt like, oh, cool, this could translate to the Super Bowl. And then you see his halftime show, and he's dressed in a tie-dyed suit like he's a Molly dealer at Coachella, and... He just has that. He just has like a camo. Yeah, weird camo. The shirt was the craziest part. Yeah, like the deer on it. Like it looked like a mural in a dentist's office. He's wearing J's. Right. So we could remember. that he that he knows a black person. And then there was like Gap employees dancing around him. (laughs) The whole thing looked like thrown together in a week. Lazy. It was lazy. And the other, you know, people were saying before 
that there was no way he could win because like people had already kind of were at the end of their rope with him the album sucked and people were like you guys weren't going to like the performance whatever which is not true because like you said like he has hits he has lots of jams if he had come in with some energy if he had brought in a guest which was crazy to me that we just had to watch just him the whole time and if he had actually looked like he gave a shit about being there i think we all would have given him his props I think also he was disadvantaged slightly, though, by the fact that four or five years ago, he won the Video Vanguard Award at the MTV Video Music Awards, yeah. where he did a really long and awesome medley of all his hits. And it was also just a better directed version of what he did at the Super Bowl. Everything got a moment. Senorita got a moment. You had the actual in sync reunion. So this, to me, felt like an abridged version of that with the Prince edition, oh. which here's the thing. It's like, I don't mind like a toast to Prince. This is my deeply unpopular opinion everything on purple rain is super overplayed and i don't need to hear it again Woo! if he had done like you got the look or something which to me feels more in line with his music it would have been a little bit more interesting no listen i have long believed that purple rain is great but we all know it yeah right and if you're going to be doing prince tributes which it in seems minnesota like, in minnesota give us something different yeah, like soft and wet, like some of like the, or like erotic city or something. It's like, like that. when Madonna did the Prince tribute and sang "Purple Rain." It's like, yeah, she sang uh, "Nothing Compares to You." Nothing compares to you. It's like, first of all, you can't even sing the Avita soundtrack. All right, anymore. don't even start with this <laughs> Madonna shade. <laughs> Try singing "Crazy for You," and then you could go sing a Prince song. Oh but it's it was like you're Madonna, and when I go see you, I want to hear you. You know. Sing like Borderline, and I want to hear you sing music and, you know, Beautiful Stranger. So why aren't you singing an upbeat yeah. Prince song? Yeah. And we know what you are, Justin. So why didn't you give us, like, Raspberry Red Beret Red. or something? That would have been cute. Raspberry Beret would have Purple been Purple Rain really is not your choice. lane. Yeah. Also, I'll say, I don't really need him to be singing it. Like, I get that that's the point of a tribute, but honestly, you should have just played the song and danced around, let Prince sing the song, and moved on with it. Or had like Sheila E there to do it too. I know they had literally, some words. He should, have yeah, had, yeah. he should have had literally anyone else show up with him to that show. BB Mac, <laughs> Mandy Moore. 90 Degrees. <laughs> what were throw, they? I have to throw it to my friend. He would have redeemed himself, I think, if he was like, ladies and gentlemen, the Backstreet Boys. That would have been <laughs> <Right>? pretty awesome. <laughs> I actually, I thought Britney might come out for a second. I don't know. Cause, like, you were so naive, Kara. I know, she, I know just because I, so, he needed something. And so here's my thing about Justin. It's so weird for him to be in this pop space right now because he's sort of been this sort of like lackadaisical, careless white guy for his whole career. And that's just not the cultural climate that we're in right now. And he doesn't fit in the weird way that Taylor Swift, when she came out with her album, didn't fit. Yeah. You know, at least she still is younger and newer and so like she still has her like young adoring fans who are gonna propel her album to the top and she'll sell out her reputation tour still but all of her music it felt like it didn't really belong in this period we're in now and Justin feels like that now too it's very it's very weird and now that he's out here and sort of being careless people are finally starting to be like hey, you know what, you used to do stuff that was, like, fucked yeah. up, and no one called you out on it, mostly because, you know, black people didn't have that kind of voice that they do on social media right now. Yeah. You know, if the Janet Jackson thing in 2004 happened now, 
he wouldn't have a career anymore. No. Like, he would have been equally dragged the way that she was. Right. Or the fact that I went through this Twitter thread the other night that had receipts on every interview he used to give during his solo career where he loved to make a point of bringing up like the fact that he went down on Britney Spears or that he would have sex with her all the time. He and like, this got was carried during, away in interviews. And this was yes. during that weird period too where like when they were dating, they were supposed to be like saving their virginity for marriage, you know? And we know that they didn't after a while, but like he made a point of every interview he was in He's talking been- about his sex life with Britney. Like the way that's shit that he should have been called out on before. Yeah, his whole sort of like the bro thing doesn't really work as much anymore. I think what you said about the lackadaisical nature of the way he sort of moves through things, it's like you don't get to act that way when like Bruno Mars is out here like hopped up for three hours a show. When you see the way Beyonce, the energy she brings on stage, even like J-Lo, like that bitch is dancing her ass off when she's on stage. Where is J-Lo's Super Bowl she performer? Been, yeah. She should have been the Super Bowl performer for real. I Someone... will say about his performance though, it's not like he didn't dance well. It felt slightly off to me. And also he was singing the entire time. Look, I'm like the Madonna stan of all time, but we all know she wasn't singing during that Super Bowl <laughs> in which she was dancing. You know what I mean? So at the, I, I thought he gave it an effort. It just didn't Her like track, track from 1983 was singing. <laughs> Loving. It was beautiful. Yes. (laughs) Someone on Twitter also tried to come for me and say, what were you expecting him to do? Like Bruce Springsteen just stood there and sang. And I was like, (laughs) first of all, don't ever in your life compare Justin Timberlake to the boss. Also, they don't. He doesn't dance. It's, it's what a, are you talking a, yes. about? Justin Timberlake was in a boy band. What were you expecting? Bruce Springsteen to come out and like start pop locking? (laughs) Also, Bruce has... Is he a plays whole, an instrument. He also has a whole bunch of fucking albums that Timbaland and Pharrell didn't write for him. Yeah, So right. they're in a different lane. <laughs> that is a wild they're just comparison. That's a crazy I just comparison. feel like there's so many people trying to make excuses for Justin when it's like, give it up. Like I said, he could have just been better. And I really think it's not like America won't forgive a rich white man. Like if he had showed up and showed out. People would have true. been. People would have been like, I'm sure, "Cool, thank you for the show. You're probably forgiven." I'm sure Richard Branson has killed people, but I still love flying. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there also just with this album, I can't even really think of what song he's going to release. That's going to be the hit single. But mind you, I'll also th- say this. When Kesha released Praying, I didn't think that would be a banger at all. And now I've heard it 50,000 times. I'm like, oh, what a great pop song. So I feel like I can be brainwashed into liking anything. So I'm worried for Justin Timberlake actually sneaking in with a hit somewhere. He probably will. Well, now I'm going to start playing Rita Ora on our car rides to the studio. Oh, please. I just heard her performance of, what did she, what were we watching? Anywhere? Oh my God, what a great song. She's good. Is this the first time you've, have you gone this long into the podcast? Is this the first time you mentioned her? Maybe. Because it's incredible that it took you this long. Wow. Okay. (laughs) You know it is. I feel attacked. (laughs) Um, And also read correctly. (laughs) (laughs) We're closing the book on Justin Timberlake. I don't want to discuss him again. Can and, I ask one unless... essay question about him before we move on? Yes. The album title, Future Sex Love Sounds, do you think he named it that because he was copying Outkast speaker box The Love Below? Like he thought that sounded cool, but he didn't realize that was two albums. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Outkast, I feel like Bruno Mars low-key shaded Justin Timberlake oh, his... because he tweeted 
next year the Super Bowl is in Atlanta. We got to celebrate by bringing some real hip hop artists out. We got to wow. do a real show. You did like a whole list. A whole list of people saying, "Let me curate it." And wow, he's around. like less of this Vanilla Ice nonsense. <laughs> And you know the NFL is not going to bring those black not people bring, on stage. He, and then when he, Jermaine Dupree, I was like, you know the England, Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> I'd be happy with it, but you know, they're not rolling up to that. No, they don't even He's care about- He's not their first offer, shall no. we say. The yeah. NFL doesn't even care about the black people that play their game. Right. They don't want them actually performing during the halftime show. I saw my friend Collier tweeted during the Super Bowl, which I thought was interesting. She said, I- Wonder if they wanted to make sure that no one who performed at the Super Bowl would protest or kneel. And you had like Pink and then you had Justin Timberlake. And it's interesting because like if, you know, a Kendrick Lamar had performed, it's hard to believe that he would have gone the whole performance without making some sort of political statement or like the way Beyonce rolled up as a Black Panther last year. And I, I thought that was an interesting observation. Well, also, if you recall, Jay-Z was one of the first people they were talking to about doing Mm-hmm. the halftime show and he turned it down reportedly you know probably because Jay-Z supports Colin Kaepernick right. and the kneeling situation he 100% does. and you know if we're going to finally get, closing that Justin Timberlake sarcophagus yeah. he's done the super bowl happened and there was an entire year of political discourse about players kneeling Trump blasting the NFL and here we go at the biggest football event of the year and nothing happened. Yeah. I mean, there are a bunch of, I, I don't know everyone's names because please. Imagine but... remembering those people. <laughs> I can't see them. They're wearing helmets. But... <laughs> What's their motivation? I can't read it in their eyes. There were a bunch of players on Philadelphia who throughout the season did kneel and supported Colin Kaepernick. And you've already had some players who were like, I'm obviously not rolling up to the White House to meet that troll. I mean, you look at the way that Colin Kaepernick was blackballed this year Mm -hmm. and just completely thrown to the wolves. And imagine if one of these players who was not Colin Kaepernick, I can imagine them thinking, if I do this during the Super Bowl, the blowback would be something that they can't overcome. And like Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job. You can't say that the end, like it didn't necessarily work in his favor in that regard. And so I can understand a player who is not him saying like it doesn't feel worth it. I was going to say also, it's not just that there would be blowback, but the blowback would be so unpredictable. It's so hard to tell, like, what standing up in a situation like that is going to do to you. Like, it's just like, I almost can't imagine a situation where it's like, and it all completely worked out for me when I spoke up during the Super Bowl. Right. You know? Right. Because there's also the thing that, like, not every player who kneels gets to hang out with Ava DuVernay. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Which she is doesn't also, have that much time. Which right. is also not the. Which is also, She's making seven hundred <laughs> movies this year. It's also not the point of yeah. a protest is not to become true famous. And but become the thing a is, you know, there's a lot of talk about sacrifice yes. and giving up things. And Colin Kaepernick definitely lost being able to play football by standing up. But on the flip side he has been able to maneuver himself into a different space within culture where he can still raise money for people. He's still getting magazine covers. He's at the time 100. You know, I'm just saying that other players who kneel, if they get fired, they can't parlay that into that. A lot of them just won't have the skills to do some of that. Colin Kaepernick 
people don't necessarily know, but like he spent a lot of time before he decided to protest learning about injustice. He learned about um, other social activists. He like studied all of this. So he comes in with a lot of knowledge. And right, not every player said, I'm going to take a crash course in black history and in resistance and use those tools moving forward when I'm going to protest. Didn't so, even watch the Eyes on the Prize documentary. I mean, it's only <laughs> six even, hours. I mean, People versus OJ? You're going to peep that real quick. <laughs> but like you said, not everyone could have done what he has done. And I would have loved to see someone kneel during the Super Bowl just to continue to piss everyone off. Well, don't worry. There was a voice of outrage, and it was afterwards when the Phillies won, and then everything was destroyed by oh, people yeah. outside. <laughs> yeah, it, there was the thing about no one kneeling, and then all of a sudden the Eagles won, and white, white people, people went, went wild. They went rambunctious, <laughs> and you had Trump out here boasting about the fact that nobody kneeled, and yet here he is ignoring this American carnage in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's worse than Chicago. Can I just say the people idea- in Chicago don't shoot people and then eat horse poop, <laughs> which there were videos of people doing in Philadelphia. Right, can white just- white people. And again, white it's, people. Very it's because they won. I am baffled by. <laughs> We've won the game, so now I'm going to destroy things. Like, when Viola Davis won an Oscar for Fences, I didn't go and fuck up a storefront. <laughs> that was me winning, by the way. Winning, in quotes. Imagine if Gates destroyed Hollywood every time Meryl won an Oscar. Come on, Caftan from the Post. I want to get outrageous this year. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday... And French fries are a food group where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide 
and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The moment we've all been waiting for finally arrived. And no one has waited for it more than you, so I'm mostly glad for you. Uma Thurman has spoken. Yeah. And as you know, I have been waiting for this on Twitter with my (laughs) Uma Thurman fan fiction that no one needs to go and read. Uh, It's just melodramatic tweets about Uma teasing the fact that she had a story to tell about Harvey Weinstein. And she finally told it. Unfortunately, she told it to Maureen Dowd (laughs) at the New York Times. And I don't want to criticize... Uma, you know, for who she felt comfortable speaking to, but Maureen Dowd. You can criticize Maureen Dowd for being a ridiculous writer. She's a ridiculous writer. Okay, first of all, let me give you some backstory on Maureen Dowd before we jump into the story that she told of Uma's. Maureen Dowd got her fame during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. She got a Pulitzer for her writing. In January, when the scandal broke, she was on Monica's side and was afraid that people would turn her, you know, into a nut or a slut by their writing about her. Come February, Maureen Dowd was dragging Lewinsky left and right, calling her fat, talking about how she was eating spaghetti carbonara, talking about how she was scribbling her name, like Monica Lewinsky Rodham Clinton on notepads, saying that she seemed like she was auditioning for a job at Revlon. Like, she was tearing this girl apart. We forget how, like, Jay Leno was, like, a cultural voice. Like, we all adapted to his take during that time. Yes, (laughs) including her. So this is the woman that Uma Thurman told the story of how Harvey Weinstein assaulted her in a hotel room how she told Quentin Tarantino how it was covered up, and how on the set of Kill Bill, she faced extra abuse from Tarantino when he choked her on set because she gets choked in the film. He choked her himself. 
He spit on her face himself to make the spit look real in a scene. And then he made her drive a car on a dirt road that she crashed into a palm tree and she wasn't given the footage for like years, which is, you know, negligence on the part of the producers, on Tarantino, on Weinstein, on everyone involved. So she had all of this stuff to tell, but somehow it came across jumbled and histrionic and melodramatic because Maureen Dowd She's wrote it. sipping white wine in her like beautiful apartment, throwing the, empty I pizza believe, boxes yes. into the fire. Like, are you insane? I believe the exact quote was, Uma Thurman is vaping tobacco, oh, God, that, sipping yeah. white wine as she fed empty pizza boxes into the fireplace of her Upper East Side apartment. Maybe Bitch, Jackie, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Maybe Jackie Collins wrote the lead. <laughs> and then Maureen picked it up from there. And it's so sad because that was one of the conversations we had when the Aziz story hit, which is how we're talking about the abuse that women face, talking about the Me Too movement talking about time's up like the way you tell these stories is relevant and you can do a disservice to victims and to the larger movement depending on how you tell the story and it's why people and journalists like the usual team at the new york times who's who broke the harvey weinstein story it's a team of really talented female journalists who were treating the topic with respect and sensitivity and also recognize that with these types of issues you have to be really on point with how you're telling the story because people are just looking for ways to poke holes in it. And Maureen Dowd clearly did not get that memo. I'm going to say, it's also not thorough enough. My problem with the Maureen Dowd piece is it brings up exactly what you said. It brings up the car crash. It, Weinstein is weirdly this negligible part of the piece. He's barely in it. And even though that's like the actual like you know crime, I guess. It leaves you with questions. Like, for instance, uh, the thing about spitting on her, uh, Tarantino on the set of uh, Kill Bill. I'm reading that and I think, well, I'm not a stunt coordinator. I don't know how that works. But then I think, but neither is Quentin Tarantino. So why isn't he having a stunt person do this? Like, how is this the dynamic he has with Uma? I didn't understand. And she doesn't answer that. And so then when Quentin Tarantino responded with the Q&A in Deadline, I'm weirdly needing to read that because it feels like it's leaving things out. Yes, there's so many conversations that need to be had about Tarantino and Uma and Weinstein that just really weren't delved into. The piece describes the abuse that Thurman got on set, but also doesn't dive into the fact that this was a pattern with him. You know, Diane Kruger talked about the fact that he was the one who actually is strangling her when she's strangled on camera in Inglorious Bastards because he said that only he could get it right. You know, he's that kind of person who feels like he has to art direct the abuse that the female characters in his films get, which is weird because so many of his films are always touted as these feminist pieces. But they're all just movies where women are like damaged and Certainly. beaten up and abused, and then, they become, and then they become triumphant in the end. Yeah. Well, certainly uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's role in, in the, the Hateful Eight. Eight was the weirdest case of just we're literally watching this woman get punched in the face for the first fifty minutes, and then almost seemingly set up for a redemption, only to be not redeemed at all and <laughs> borderline crucified in front of us, literally. Then there's Death Proof, where Rose McGowan is killed in a car crash. Years after he did that to Uma with the car crash on set. So it's like he's 
sort of reveling in it. He, in he, the way that Woody Allen revels in his, you know, writing these fantasy, I gave you all the clues, snowmen movies about old men and <laughs> young girls. Yeah, and I think that he's an eccentric director, and I think to him... One of the things people seem to forget is like this is still a professional situation. And so he crosses lines where he's crossing professional lines. And but he thinks he's like, I'm pushing boundaries with my art. It's like, no, you're just being a bad fucking employer. Also, audio came out after his interview with Deadline of an old Howard Stern interview where he defended Roman Polanski's raping a thirteen year old girl. Not a great time for this audio to come out because it is astounding it, it is, is very unreal it is wild how come hollywood embraces this madman this director who raped a 13 year old he didn't rape a 13 year old it was statutory rape yeah all right, all right. well that's <laughs> not quite the same thing all right? come on enough said it's it's not statutory rape you know he had sex with a with a minor all right, that's not rape. To me, when you use the word rape, all right, right. you're talking about violent, throwing them down. It's like one of the most violent crimes in the world. You can't throw, you know, throwing the word rape around is like throwing the word racist around. All okay. right, you know, okay. it just doesn't apply to everything that people use it for. All right, you know, he was he was guilty of having sex with a minor. All right? That she didn't want to have. No, that was not the case at all. She wanted to have it. Well, and dated, dated, dated the guy, dated the guy, and, and, the guy. and she was 13, and found out. Well, and by the way. We're talking about America's morals. We're not talking about the morals in Europe and everything. Oh. All right. Uh, Wait a second. Morals you in Europe, sex morals in China. With a 13-year-old girl, and you're a grown man. Uh -huh. You know that that's wrong because oh, no, she I'm has been giving her booze and, and I'm pills. Not I'm not. Look, she was down with it. Oh, you're oh. Crazy. He keeps going on about how it's statutory rape because the girl wanted it, and he's talking about European consent laws. It's Wild. And his tone during it on the Howard Stern show is like, eh, but like he's like reasoning with Robin Quivers who's saying, but she's drugged, but she's 13. And he keeps basically making noises to get her off those facts, which is very, very strange. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I don't even... Yeah, I thought he—I thought he acquitted himself somewhat nicely in the in the deadline article, which, by the way, I was prepared to hate because in the opening paragraph, Mike Fleming Jr., the writer, says, "Lots of narratives get blown up to, into convenient narratives for this Me Too movement." I was like, "Wait, so you get to just openly dismiss the Me Too movement because you're writing a Q and A with Tarantino? Disgusting." Mike Fleming is—I might always hesitant to like call out another reporter, but he is literally always jizzing all over his articles when he interviews men like this. The Tarantino one, he talks about, you know, people are creating these convenient narratives during Me Too, and he wants to get the real story out. He was practically salivating when he got the quote-unquote exclusive that Casey Affleck wasn't going to be at the Oscars this year, that he was turning it down. Like, he's awful. Yeah, it's he has the same vibe as Tarantino in that Howard Stern interview, which is like, eh, I know people are making a lot of noise about this thing right now, but just listen to me. I'm I'm real. This wouldn't fly at deadline under Nikki. Quite. <laughs> Where's Nikki Fink? Where's Nellie Andreeva just being like, no, I'm the I'm in charge of this now. The, I'm the Rose Byrne and damages. I will be taking over. So Tarantino is also supposed to be directing a Star Trek movie, but I feel like that's off the table now. Like, have you, you just assume because of all of the press? But, I mean, this audio is 
crazy. But you know, the thing about him, not that I necessarily want things to work out for him, but there's no precedence for this really turning out that badly for him. Like, we've known that he's been kind of a creep. We've we, People have had problems with Quentin Tarantino for a while, but his movies were good, and so you sort of overlooked it. So I don't know the precedence for, like, this not going well for him because people forgive these dudes and they let them keep making money. True, and, and, and his creepiness hasn't crossed over, as far as we know, into assault. Sure. And also, he is at least... Sexual assault, apolo- at least. Yeah. He's at least apologizing here and atoning for behavior. Like, Even bringing though up exactly, you part know. of his apology is blaming Maureen Dowd for not including his side of the story, even though he mentions in his alleged apology that they couldn't link up. Right. Mm. Which, like, so were you not answering her emails? <laughs> Did you put your phone on silent? Like, you could have been a rebuttal in the Uma story, and he probably just decided, why do that when I can't respond on my own right. in deadline? Well, Marine Dowd is messy, but there's no way the New York Times did not try to get, you know, a statement or confirmation from Quentin Tarantino. That just in and of itself seems they had the, They had responses from Weinstein in it. Yeah. And we always need to hear him say three more words. So that was How exciting. is he still talking? Like the boldness of this man where it's just every week there's another story of you assaulting some woman and your ass is at some quote unquote rehab, <laughs> sex, whatever the hell. And you are still out here responding to this shit. Shut up. It's over. Just go. Arizona can be very healing. I have, I have a lot of hope for him. I mean, but it's the gall of this man to continue to respond to these allegations. I mean, we already know he's a psychopath. But, like, if you didn't already realize that, like, this is crazy. Do you think he picks his responses out of a bowl? <laughs> or has he written down every actress that he has assaulted and he just has the response ready if they ever come forward? Well, I mean, first they've got to not be white. That's the first, you know, because those are really the only other than Uma. Yeah. Those are the only ones he's out here responding to. Right, because he he swiftly denied Lupita and and Selma Selma Hayek. And he sort of like hedged with Uma in his responses to the New York Times. But then when he started getting dragged, he issued a full response saying she's lying. I'm hoping there's an actual magic eight ball specific to him that he uses that he shakes (laughs) up. And it says, I could have very well said that or whatever he said in the Uma article. That's the treatment at yeah. I'm a dirty creep rehab. Yeah. Maybe I said that. <laughs> that sounds like something I could have said. When we're back, keep it. And we're back with my favorite segment of the week. It's keep it. What are we saying no thanks to? What are we tired of? Lewis, you first. All right. This is a weird one this week. So I apologize if I'm going out on a limb here. But over the weekend, it was the 35th anniversary of the death of my favorite singer ever, Karen Carpenter. Now, if, if you're not familiar with the Carpenters, they had songs like We've Only Just Begun and Rainy Days and Lewis, Mondays. it's Black History Month. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to get there. But Lewis, going. this podcast is being recorded in 2018. Okay, let me tell you something. <laughs> I was thinking... Karen Carpenter, greatest vocalist of all time. She must be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She is not. Then I looked at the record of who gets inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame every year. There has never been more than two female performers or female-fronted bands 
inducted every year, and there's always at least five performers. I just think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I'm saying keep it to, was started to commemorate rock as it came of age in the 80s, and since then is basically just here to confirm that the male archetype of a rocker is what's important. That, like... In the history of the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, only two women have gotten in their first year of eligibility, Janis Joplin and Madonna. Nobody else has warranted immediate induction. And here's my question. Green Day did get in on their first year. (laughs) Why is Green Day more important than Whitney Houston, who's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Why are they more important than Shaka Khan? Why more important? You know, just all these other artists, specifically black women who haven't gotten in yet. Dolly Parton, Cher. He brought it back to black saved it. Black women, how about it? it? He saved it. (laughs) I just think it's a sexist institution that gets a lot of credit for seeming historic when really they award the same types of people again and again and just undervalue women. Kind of like the Grammys. Funny how that works out. Kind of like the White House. (laughs) Kind Kind of like like America. Kind of like life, honey. (laughs) Kara? So my keep it this week goes to Doritos who announced this week via the CEO of the company, who, by the way, is a woman, a woman of color, too. So, girl, I'm looking right at you, that they're working on a chip that is more, like, female-friendly because apparently women, when they eat Doritos, they don't like to crunch it loudly. They don't like to lick their fingers. They don't like to eat the crumbs in the bag, which is literally the only reason to eat Doritos is for those three reasons. There's no reason to eat Doritos if you're not licking your fingers at the end and knocking back the crumbs. And how did that even, the fact that it made it so far that this woman is giving interviews like, oh yeah, no, we're developing the lady chip, to me is wild. And everyone seems to have lost their goddamn mind. Also, it's like, are they going for like kitsch humor with Lady Doritos? Because it's just a softer sounding chip. Couldn't they just be like, it's, how, it's how Doritos be, crackers or how something. How can it be soft and still be a Dorito is also my question. What sort of magic are they applying to the Doritos where it's a softer crunch, but it's still a Dorito? It's a fruit roll up. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) spicy fruit roll. I don't know what you were doing over there, PepsiCo, which is the company that makes Doritos. But also people stop giving us these equal pens and give us the money, please. We'll just take we will take the money. Imagine being like mad at a woman for crunching a Dorito. I mean, that must be part of the meeting. right? Like, Like, I can't believe that woman made noise. She chewed a snack. (laughs) I'm outraged. So I keep it might be whiter than Lewis's. Oh, oh that can't be. <laughs> the Arctic Monkeys have a new album oh, coming out. Oh, my God. I love them. I'm going on record. I love Alex Turner. Can you I would love, love the, him to be on the show. Can you love them in March? Okay. Listen, I just want to say <laughs> that their new album is supposed to be featuring artists like Playboy Cardi, Quavo, <laughs> DJ Khaled, and Gucci Mane. Oh, and... This is a British rock band who's never had features on their albums, and all of a sudden the new one is this. And maybe I should be celebrating it because it's Black History Month and some rappers are getting a come up, but... It sounds like he's having his Nelly Furtado in 2007 moment, where it's like, I'm going to wear a half shirt and dance and Timbaland's going to say it's okay. (laughs) So Also, it's not like those rappers need checks. Like, they're doing fine. Yeah. Fine. My actual Black History Month keep it is the fact that I only saw Black Panther yesterday, and I was not invited to the premiere. Oh, my God. (sighs) Leona Hemsley here with her demands. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Whoever's responsible, I will find you. You can probably (laughs) still make it in, where are they now? They're in Europe now. You could probably still make one of those. Go to the European premiere? Text Lapita. (laughs) 
<laughs> when Chadwick comes back, we'll ask him. I'm picturing you storming up to the gates of Wakanda with your papers, <laughs> demanding entry. I'll be at the Black Panther 2 premiere. I, sh- I, <laughs> mark, I bet you will. Mark my words. <laughs> Invited or not. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Kara. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, Lewis, for showing up when you weren't invited. That's exactly right. No, I want it to be like the real world episode where Coral yelled at the Miz for not knowing about Marcus Garvey. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be your future wrestler. That's actually an incredible Black History Month throwback. And you, it's not up to me, but maybe you can come back next week just for that. I I, I think it's allowed. Yeah, Yeah, you earned it. Oh my God, you heard it here first, Queens. (laughs) All right, I will see you two next week. And when I'm back, an interview with comedian Rhea Butcher. We're talking about Drag Race. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday, and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling, and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free. And flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now from May 6th at Wayfair.com. Wayfair, every style, every home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. So I'm here with Rhea Butcher, comedian. How's it going? It's going pretty great. How about you? I am glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I mostly brought you here so you can help me pick my (laughs) RuPaul's Drag Race Uh Fantasy League. Okay, great. I'm glad you love the show. I do love the show. I will preface this by saying I've only recently jumped in. When? Um, like last season, basically, okay. and then watched a bunch of seasons that are on demand, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, the flu has <laughs> has ravaged my household, and so we've <laughs> caught up on everything. Also, just trying to watch as much queer programming as possible. Yeah, and so that's you know you go through all of Rue pretty much. All right, so who are your six? So my six right now, I have Aja, I have Ben, I can't remember that person's drag name. Let me see the the one that is like. Staggeringly close to Michelle Visage, the oh, queen. Yeah, de, yeah. Ben de la Creme. Ben de la Creme. Great. Yeah. So I got the name correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrified of getting everybody's <laughs> name wrong. I have Bebe. I have Oh, Bibi Zahara. Bibi Zahara. Sorry, I said it wrong. Thorgy Thor, Kennedy, and then I have Milk. Also, Milk is okay. kind of my like probably going to get through because good outfits. Yeah, Milk has really good outfits, mm-hmm. um, and I love Bibi Zahara because she's from like Cameroon. Absolutely. And it's so exciting seeing like. 
an African queen on the show. A hundred percent. So what is it about the show that makes you like love it so much? I mean, I think they really hit like a new sort of stride with whatever it is that they're doing. Like, so originally the show was sort of like kind of difficult for people, I felt like, because there was like a multi-generational thing coming together where like Mm -hmm. an I don't want to say the word old because I don't mean it like that. <laughs> a previous generation had, you know, a language and an experience that they were bringing to the show. And then a new generation was watching it going, wait a minute, we don't do this anymore. And mm-hmm. I think for that reason, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let the show be the show. And then I think Peppermint was like popping into my feed. And I was going like, I have to watch this show. Yeah. So Peppermint. I just have to like see this person. Yeah, Peppermint is a drag queen from New York. And when I used to live in New York, I used to see Peppermint perform all the time at therapy. And she came out as trans Mm -hmm. recently, and she became like one of the first trans contestants to get really far in the show. She was in the finals. And And can I I ask this question? Because I am not, I don't know this. How many trans contestants were there before Peppermint? So before that, there were two contestants who came out as trans during the show. Got it. So Neek came out during the reunion okay. as trans uh-huh. and Monica Beverly Hills came yes. out during her elimination episode. Got it. Okay. But since then, Carmen Carrera, Gia mm-hmm. Gunn, Jiggly Caliente, Jinx Monsoon, mm-hmm. Kenya Michaels, and Stacey Lane Matthews have all come out as trans mm-hmm. after the show. There you go. Which I think is really interesting it if is. you think about the concept of just, you know, how the show plays with gender and identity. And it finally, you know, gave these women a place to realize that they were trans or that they were able to come out. Totally. You know, by being on the show. A hundred percent. I think that feeling that you're describing, whatever that sort of mix and chemistry of the production of the show and the feeling of the show is what, like, attracted me to it Mm -hmm. um, when I started watching it. And... I just love what it's doing, especially now in the like context of the world that we're sort of, we've always been living in, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is is the context that more people are aware of. I think the show is just like this amazing, I don't even know the word, it's just like this champion of being yourself, even mm-hmm. if it, it, it doesn't matter what that is. And I think for me personally, like when I was coming out or figuring things out in my life, which was like, you know, at this point, almost 20 years ago, I went to New York on a field trip with my college, which was in Akron, Ohio. And every year they would go to New York to like, go see the art and stuff. <laughs> and so I went and I had these friends that uh, were gay men and they like got our professor who was very like just a funny woman to go to this drag club. And I was absolutely terrified to go in mm-hmm. because I was just like afraid that one of these queens would be like, you have a secret and like call me out. And they absolutely probably would have. And I absolutely probably needed that. But I was like so terrified. So I feel like now watching it, I'm like getting that without the like confrontation of, you know, yeah. the actual they can't physical. Come through the TV. They can't do it. Although I would love nothing more than any one of them to be like, you have a secret. It would probably help me so much even now today. <laughs> but there's just something so like pure about it and layered and concentrated it's like it's such a pure queer experience Mm -hmm. you know and i love that now they have this fantasy league which i'm a huge like fantasy baseball player Mm -hmm. which i only did last season but i'm like in love with it because i think i have a low-key gambling problem but it's fine i don't put any (laughs) money on it um and like having this fantasy thing there's like 
I don't know, cis dudes on Twitter that I'm friends with that are like playing RuPaul's like drag fantasy. Like, Mm -hmm. how nuts is that? That people are just like involved in it and into it. You know, like I played football fantasy league mm -hmm. once when I was living in New York Mm because I had a bunch of friends from Seattle and they were really into football and. I had like a year where I sort of pretended I cared. <laughs> sure, yeah. Then I stopped. Yeah. Uh, but now the it's only- It's that easy. Th- <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you too can exit a fantasy <laughs> you league do whenever you want. You want. <laughs> uh, now the only one I'm in is Survivor. Because oh, wow, I yeah. Watched Sur- I've watched Survivor since- The whole thing? The beginning. All right. But I am very excited because I love this current season. Uh-huh. I'm rooting for, I think I want to pick- you know, Bibi Zahara, because yes. I love an African queen. Yeah. I love Shangela. Yes. It would be nice if she finally won. I know. I mean, it's her third time. It that. is so many times. <laughs> I don't have Shangela on my draft. That doesn't mean that I don't love her. Of course. Because she also described, like, essentially the way I look at politics on the last episode, which is like, look, we are in agreement that we are all going to do what we want to do and respect each other for that. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how I think about everything. Because they yeah. were talking about the like how they were going to kick people yeah. off and stuff. So on RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars, they eliminate people not with RuPaul eliminating them. <laughs> they eliminate people. They eliminate each other. Yes, which like ups the ante. Oh, hundred percent. The I love that there's two winners. Yeah, too. there's two winners, and they have to lip sync for their legacy, <laughs> um, and then they decide which of the bottom two they're going to send home. Yeah, which I think is great because since you have watched the other seasons, yes. one of the biggest parts about being a drag queen and when you go to see them in bars and see them perform, like it's all about the lip sync. Totally, and that's why I love an all star season because in the regular season, if a queen is really good and makes it all the way to the end without ever losing and being uh-huh. in the bottom two, you'll never see them lip sync. Which yeah. is like last year, Sasha mm-hmm. Velour was the winner, and no one really knew what she could do in a lip sync until the finale. Right. Yeah, you're right. Which she I like feel like is it. why more people were, you know, sort of like, oh, we really want like a Peppermint to win, because yeah. you saw her, you know, at least twice bring it to the stage, and yeah. you knew what she could do. Total, 100%. And also in this situation... They've ar- both already won, yeah. so I almost feel like they're trying even harder than mm-hmm. if like they're gonna get kicked because there's like a weird you know it like puts you in a weird headspace to have to like lip sync actually for your life, whereas yeah. where you're like no 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 I'm I am gonna win yeah. <laughs> like you have you're like winning winning I mean that was like some of the craziest they both did exactly what they're super good at so well that yeah. it was like how do you pick between these two people yeah the, is she gonna jump from there. <laughs> meme is the like meme. one um, of the greatest memes of all time. I, think. I I I love that we've you know kicked off the year with a good meme, and it came from RuPaul's Drag Race. Right? It's, this uh, is what I'm yeah. talking about, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Aja. She's performing a lip sync, and she jumps onto this platform, and she starts voguing on the platform, uh-huh. and the other queens are like. Is she gonna jump from there? And then she literally jumps <laughs> and does a dip onto yeah. the stage, and it's. And One for of the a most fraction of a I've second, seen. yeah, absolutely. For a fraction of a second in the slow mo, you're like, "Is her hip gonna dislocate?" <laughs> nope, we're good. She's good. <laughs> She's good. She practiced she it. She practiced <laughs> it. She did some hip stretches, opened it up. So, RuPaul's Drag Race is so appealing to straight people uh-huh. and everyone on the LGBTQ spectrum. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this show versus you know? other queer programming mm-hmm. um 
is maybe why other queer programming, we don't see it as much, or executives just don't get it. I mean, not that executives <laughs> get Drag Race, yeah. to be honest. I yeah. don't think anyone gets it besides VH1 and RuPaul. Right. I mean, I think for RuPaul, like, we already knew who RuPaul was. Mm-hmm. Like, even people that are, you know, like, 60 know who Ru- yeah. RuPaul yeah, is. Yeah, I did this, I did this um, <laughs> documentary on Drag Race for Sundance, mm-hmm. and... It was just, you know, they were showing clips, too, and then I was talking about RuPaul, and I just remember the fact that I knew who RuPaul yeah, was better work. back in the 90s. Like I, yeah, um, as a child in Akron, Ohio, I knew who RuPaul was. Except that, <laughs> you know, back then, I didn't have a concept, really, of what right. a I drag queen was. Right, I didn't understand any of it. I was like, um, okay. To me, a drag queen <laughs> could have been trans. Like, it, yeah, yeah I, you're thinking yes. about that as a kid. Right. But yeah, RuPaul's been in the zeitgeist since yeah, the 90s. So. Just forever. And bending the whole thing. Like, I love that she is, I just always use she with RuPaul. I love that she's in drag, not in drag. Like, just the whole thing. Like, I, she has, like, both characters. I also think something that's interesting about this show in particular, and speaking to, like, the fact that she's been in the zeitgeist and people that are, like, 60 know her. Like, she she made some joke. Like, I think I was watching a rerun where she's like, who let the hookers in? And I was like, my grandmother would think that was the funniest joke <laughs> of all time. Because there's something also very, like, throwback sort of, like, late 60s early 70s of like just the sense well so of many of the challenges like one oh, of yeah. people's favorite challenge each season is the um snatch game challenge mm-hmm. which is basically <laughs> yeah, a drag version <laughs> of um like laughing yeah 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 it's uh yeah the match game thing yeah. which is uh, all those folks on the panel or whatever and fanny flag yeah <laughs> famous author of famous lesbian, uh, unlesbian washed <laughs> fried green tomatoes. But I mean, to speak to like why it hits, I mean, number one, I don't know how anything hits in it because there's so many things. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, you know, people love reality, they love competition, and then they love it's like people from all over the place, mm-hmm. you know? Like Chi Chi Devane is like, she's from Louisiana. There's like people yeah. from all of. Uh, BB is from Cameroon. Like, there's yeah. so many people on it, and there's just so many experiences. And I feel like people just, like, love a sort of slice of experience mm-hmm. these days. And I think that's why it's doing so well. It's not, like, this projection of queerness. Mm-hmm. It's queerness. Like, mm-hmm. there's no there's no steps in between, mm-hmm. you know? And we can have conversations about what the word queerness means and yeah. what, you know, all these things, but that's why people watch it, because then you can have conversations, and- I think. Going back to, um, you had a show. I, I did, yeah. Yeah. I Still wa- kind of yeah. have it. I don't know. <laughs> so it's in it's one in of those the, it's weird in purgatories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, was there anything that you feel like maybe you've now taken away from Drag Race that makes you think, oh, I wish I could do this on TV? I mean, I wish I could do anything on TV. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what it is. It's like, uh, you know, be my authentic self and be on TV, mm-hmm. which I think is something, you know, that I've been trying to do. Mm-hmm. I was also on a TV show called Adam Ruins Everything, and I played Adam's sister. And actually, RuPaul talked about me on her podcast with him, so RuPaul okay. knows who I am and All thought right. my name was a joke. And Adam <laughs> was like, it's not. It's real. And she has a great bit about it. Um, so RuPaul knows who I am and might follow me on Twitter, which is fantastic. Well, but... you know what? Ru, come into the studio. <laughs> we'll bring yeah. you back. Well, you and Ru. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll finally meet. It'll be an adorable meet cute. But yeah, I mean, I think just still doing that, like, you know, talking about the things you want to talk about, being the person you want to be, mm-hmm. and not hiding any of that. Where do you think queer TV mm-hmm. cinema needs to go? It's weird. Last year we had yeah. 
last year we had this big moment with sort of Moonlight, and it mm-hmm. felt different with the Oscars. Yes. Um, and now this year, it's funny that you have a big movie like Call Me By Your Name, sure, but, yeah. it, but it almost feels sort of like it's still nominated for Best Picture, and yes. people are talking about it, but almost in a way it feels not landmark. It feels right. just like why another th- movie that you've seen. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is because it's just a romantic story. Yeah. It's set in the 80s, but right. it also doesn't deal with AIDS or anything. <laughs> I know. You know, it's like yeah. people watch it and I think straight Academy voters see yeah. it and they're like, it doesn't feel eh. like it's giving me like what I think I need from like a queer story. It's right. not I mean, giving me struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nobody dies. So yeah. You why know? Would you? Yeah, exactly. um, and it's just this lovely, beautiful, romantic film, but it's just sort of like, well, what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My biggest qualm with that movie is there's no queer sex in it. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say there's none, because, I mean, there's very much like making out and stuff yeah. like that and a couple things, but I loved that movie. Mm-hmm. I, I loved watching it. And also, it's like, you know, two straight guys playing the parts, yeah. which, like, good for them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also feel kind of like we skipped over some weird moment like where we went from there's like one gay movie every like five years and then we went to like, oh, hot guys are playing gay. Yeah. Hot. You know, like it went from being like, good for them to they're hot. And now we're just like, wait, what? <laughs> Hang right. on, but slow down a second. <laughs> yeah, we sort of like, Moonlight was at least like, oh, finally we're seeing like a black yes. queer story on screen. And then Call Me By Your Name sort of got into the zeitgeist right. just by- Everyone on social media is hot for Timothée Chalamet right. and Army Hammer. It, yeah, it's it's shocking to me, and I think you know I would be fine if there wasn't any. Well, I wouldn't be fine if there wasn't any gay sex. I really wanted some gay sex anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but like the fact that there's like straight sex in the movie, yeah, is like wait a minute, what? <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like objectifying a woman and blah, whatever. But what I would like to see in you know queer cinema specifically because I, I i don't know about tv tv has so many more opportunities but it's just mm-hmm. like what if there's just a movie about people who are queer yeah period <laughs> like full stop it's just their life and yeah. what their life is like you know what, the shape of water you know yeah, let, exactly let a gay guy fuck that fish this is a podcast <laughs> but i am doing the egg <laughs> this is my favorite shape of water thing <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, just like what if or like it's the, the post, but you know, like right. it's about the advocate yeah, instead of the exactly. Post. Yes, or Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and it's Wonder Woman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just li- like literally anything. That's what I would love to see. There's so many opportunities that, like, it, I just see them not being taken. But at the same time, I feel like it's happening because queer cinema is moving to where like more queer people are behind the scenes mm-hmm. not just behind the camera but behind the scenes like producing and choosing and all those things it, it actually has to be like a sort of grassroots thing where like everybody moves slowly up and seeps upward to making the decisions of what movies get made you know yeah so and then we can have hot gay actors <laughs> yeah. on tv yes instead of yes and but i ooh, speaking of that though did you watch the show mind hunter I watched the first episode, and I need to keep going. I love Jonathan Groff. Yes. I just want to make a shout-out to him because I think, and I don't know how we would find this on the internet, but I think he's, like, the only actor to come out as gay, then be the lead in a gay show as a gay man, and then get another show and be the lead who is straight and has tons of straight sex scenes. Yeah. I think he might be the first person to do that. 
No, yeah, I'm thinking about that. To like be like, I am out, and I'm, then I'm be like, out now and I'm, I'm in a gay I'm show. I'm meeting a gay show. It is the gayest gay show. And then now I'm not on that show, and now I'm on a serial killer hunter drama. I'm straight, and I'm having very straight sex on multiple episodes. Jonathan Groff is the future. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Rhea, tell people yeah. where they can find you yes. online, where they can Great. find your comedy, Perfect. What, what cities you're um, traipsing so, to. So many cities <laughs> am I about to traipse within. Um, I'm you know, on Twitter and Instagram, just Rhea Butcher, at Rhea Butcher. It's R-H-E-A-B-U-T-C-H-E-R. It is a real name, not made up. Uh, and then I'm also going on tour this spring. I'm going to be in all kinds of places, Baltimore, Brooklyn, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Cincinnati, Grand Rapids, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, St. Louis, Missouri, and Kansas City, Missouri. And you can buy my most recent release that is a co-release with my wife, Cameron Esposito, called Back to Back, which is on iTunes right now. It was number one for like five weeks straight. All right. First queer married comedy duo album. Listen, we, <laughs> we, we love a chart position. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love my charts. Our chart. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ira. This is wonderful. And good luck on your quest at uh, Drag Race Gold. Thank you. Yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you on the charts. <laughs> <laughs> May the best woman win. <laughs> Thanks again to Kara and Lewis for joining me, and to my guest Rhea Butcher. That's it for Keep It. I'll see you next week. I feel like everyone's confused because we ask for equal pay and you people are out here giving us some equal dumb bullshit. Like nobody wants your equal snack foods. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.